This is A Space to Speak Your Mind. We're a radio show and a podcast about mental health made by people with lived experience in association with Cornwall Mind. We do cover subjects that some listeners may find distressing. And if you'd like support or more information, please visit cornwallmind.org. And if you'd like to be a part of the show or send us your thoughts, we'd love to hear from you too. A Space to Speak Your Mind with Cornwall Mind for better mental health. Welcome to A Space to Speak Your Mind. I'm Richard, and on this month's show, I'll be joined by Joanne Beanie, who's a freelance photographer and is studying her photography degree at Truro College. For her final year at university, she's been creating postcard-style images of the wild swimming ladies across Cornwall. We also have Doug Russell, who's the health and safety officer for the Union of Shop, Distributive and Allied Workers, talking about the increase in violence towards shop workers. And Louise will be speaking with me about her journey surrounding mental health. A space to speak your mind. So Joe, welcome to A Space to Speak Your Mind. Now tell me a little bit about yourself. Hi, my name is Joanne. I am the creator of the Be More Hilda project, where I gathered lots of women from many different walks of life to celebrate our bodies in all shapes and sizes. And you've done this as part of your university course? I have, yeah. So it began as quite a small project. In its infancy, it was quite a small project, but it grew and grew and grew, and now it's just got bigger and bigger, and now it's going to be a calendar and everything. So tell me about the actual project itself, because it's about body image. So what makes you want to concentrate on body image? So I feel like there's a growing movement on social media for body positivity and body confidence, and I just kind of wanted to focus something, focus my project particularly on empowerment just empowerment is ours it's for us and we have the power to take it it's ours and i just wanted women to have the opportunity to see themselves through a different lens like to see themselves how i see them so rather than looking at a picture and picking out all the flaws and their faults and the things that they don't like they could see themselves through my lens and hilda was the perfect way to express that because she's fun and she's carefree and that you just looking at her pictures you can just see she's full of life and excitement and just giggly giggliness and she does all these fun and amazing things and she's cheeky and and a little bit raw and she does all of those things while having a less than pin-up style body in the 50s especially obviously pin-up was a very specific kind of lady a lady's figure was a very particular shape and when Hilda came along and Dwayne Bryars introduced her to the world it made pin-up accessible for everybody so this is Hilda, so this is the character that you've used in all the pictures? Yeah, yeah, it's the same character in all the pictures. It's Dwayne Bryars. He's an American illustrator. He sadly passed away now. But he'd done a huge series, huge series of Hilda illustrations, and they're all just as cheeky and as fun as one another. And it's a real celebration of her and her personality, regardless of her body, regardless of her shape, and regardless of what she had going on in the background. She was just having fun in her body. And that is real empowerment, I think, just live in life regardless of your body living outside of that and having fun not waiting until you're thinner or waiting until you've lost 10 pounds or until your hair's a bit longer you just don't you don't need to it's right now and tell me about the ladies that have been involved in the project so i put in a call out on social media and i swim i do wild swimming myself it always sounds a bit bizarre when you say wild swimming because you know it's not that wild it's just out in the wild (laughs) so i put a call out on the local swimming groups and I was really apprehensive when I first put the call out because I thought, oh my gosh, no one's going to want to do it and I'm really going to struggle. And the response was phenomenal. 
So it started off as a small project that was going to be six postcards and it ended up evolving into this project right now that is currently 15 and is then going to go on to be a calendar as well, which is exciting. But yeah, so the women all came forward from the Swimming Women Facebook group and they do all sorts of things like for Mind Charity, for women's charities and they just, they work tirelessly really to raise money and awareness of all sorts of things, all different kind of pockets of the world. And yeah, they all started coming forward and the response, like I said, was phenomenal. There were so many women who wanted to take part that it really surprised me and it was very touching and it was wonderful. It was a really, really good response and the project speaks for itself, really. And how do you feel about the link as well with body image and mental health? Do you think that's an important aspect to this? Huge. Yeah, absolutely huge. I think as women and men as well, I think we all have derogative thoughts about ourselves and I think it's so easy for that to take over and this project was about a celebration of just being fun and cheeky and and enjoying yourself regardless of what your body looks like and that helped the project I started it for the women who I was taking the photographs of I started it for them I wanted them to see themselves differently I want them to see that they could have fun and do these things and take that empowerment for themselves but the project gave me so much I grew my mental health it was changed exponentially like I've really grown from this project myself I started it for them but I got so much from it and they've all been just so lovely and so supportive and seeing them just embracing themselves and taking that empowerment has been so so lovely to see and you've got your book with you we'll put some of these um, photos online on our Facebook page as well so people can see some of the photos but I'm um, just looking through so we've got the pictures and we've got some of the uh, the quotes and uh, responses from the ladies so is the one that you can just tell us a little bit about what one has said there was one lady in particular who had never ever worn a bikini in her life had never worn a bikini let alone had a picture taken in a bikini she turned up and she was very very self-conscious and by the end of it she felt so much better about herself she felt that exactly it she felt empowered and she felt confident and messaged me a few weeks later and was like this has changed my life this has really changed the way that I feel about myself and so many of the women came forward and said that they said this project has changed my life like so many of them came to me afterwards and were like I've gone and bought a bikini I never thought I'd do that never thought I'd see myself in a bikini and now I I am and I never thought I would stand naked in front of someone I didn't know because these ladies I didn't know them (laughs) I didn't know them and I was asking them to come or we'd meet them somewhere I was was asking these ladies to meet me somewhere and suddenly just get your kit off and then we take photos and they put a lot of trust in me and it was amazing but it was just phenomenal and there's another picture here that you show me. This is Mabel, I believe. Yes, Mabel the Wonder Dog. One of the ladies who was a real pillar of strength and her name's Katie and she helped so much with this project with gathering props and making things and finding locations. She really was instrumental to the success of this project, 100%. She has a lovely little dog called Mabel who stole my heart the first time I met Katie and it just seemed right and she looks very very similar to Hilda's dog in all the illustrations there is a very similar dog and Mabel fit the bill perfectly so Mabel the wonder dog is getting a little bit gaining a bit of fame momentum herself oh wow she might have her own Instagram page before we know it (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) and how many people have been involved with the project so there was 15 models and obviously myself and Katie and Mabel the Wonder Dog. And I just want to say the hugest thanks to every single person who helped make this project come to fruition. It really is a love and a passion of mine. And I'm just so grateful that they all put their trust in me and we took this project and made it into what it was. And I'll forever be grateful. I'm moving forward now. So you've got the postcard. So you're going to be... uh 
be selling them and you're also you're going to be doing an exhibition as well the postcards you can get all 15 for 10 pounds or you can buy your favorites individually for a pound that doesn't include post and packaging you can see all of the images on the all my hilda ladies instagram so feel free to go along and follow that and get involved with what's going on over there we also often do quite a few games and exciting things and stories are always a bit of a laugh over that that sounds brilliant so yeah people can go along they can see all these pictures and obviously we'll put a link as well to your instagram pages so that uh, everyone can have a look but yeah absolutely fantastic really love these pictures and uh, i hope you have great success thank you so much thanks for having me it's been absolutely wonderful a space to speak your mind with cornwall mind for better mental health there's a space to speak your mind and we have with us Doug Russell, who's the health and safety officer at the Union of Shop, Distributive and Allied Workers. Hi, Doug. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks, Richard. Hello. So our work lives have changed since the beginning of the pandemic. And for those, particularly in the service industry, it's been a really difficult time. Of course, going back to work has brought about many worries for people's their mental health in this new environment. And also we're learning about their physical health being at risk from violence and attack. Can you tell us what kind of things you're seeing taking place? The problem we've had since the start of the pandemic is that levels of violence and abuse towards shop staff, which were already on the increase before the pandemic, more than doubled since then. The latest initial results from the survey we're conducting this year show that over 90% of shop workers have been verbally abused in the last year. 70% of them have had serious threats of violence against them, including threats of rape or threats that they know where they live and they'll come and beat them up after work. And 14%, that's one in seven shop workers, have actually been physically attacked. Yeah, I imagine that this is really affecting shop workers. They're going in for their daily work. They're not expecting to have these kind of experiences. So they must themselves be getting things like anxiety and stress and, and panic from just being at work. Are those the kind of things that you're finding are affecting their health? And what can we do to help them? Very much so. Uh, yes, the problem with, of the additional stress of the violence on top of everything else has been very worrying. Obviously, those who have been providing essential services in supermarkets and continue to stay open so that people can get the food and the products that they need, they've had the additional stress of themselves being exposed to the risk of catching the virus, and that's been no easy thing to deal with. But if on top of that, when you're delivering that essential service, you're also getting from a minority of the public serious levels of physical violence and threats and hate crime directed at you. And sometimes that's on a daily basis. That is really serious. It wears you down. Even before the pandemic, there was research done for the co-op by Professor Emily Taylor that showed that there are shop workers who are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder because of the levels of abuse that they're exposed to in some parts of the country. Yeah, I imagine because, of course, even during the pandemic, people weren't necessarily keeping to the rules or they were coming in close proximity of shop workers and not necessarily wearing masks. And obviously before we had the vaccination. So it must be a really difficult time. And those anxieties obviously have built up over time. And even though we're maybe a better situation now, these things do carry on, don't they? Yeah, and I'm not sure we can say we're in a better situation at the moment. We're actually in a possibly a worse situation in some respects because the government in England has relaxed the rules on things like wearing a face coverings in shops even before the vaccination programme is actually fully spread at a time when the Delta variant is spreading rapidly around those who are not vaccinated. And the fact that they relaxed the rules has added another area of uncertainty and confusion to the picture. So even on top of the ones who are being deliberately violent and aggressive, because for whatever reason they don't think the rules should apply to them, there's an increase in levels of abuse just because there are more people who are confused and frightened and don't know what the right thing is to do when they come into a store. Yeah, and because of things have changed so much as well, the rules have changed as we've gone along. So, I mean, what can we do to protect people's health and prevent these sorts of things from happening? We've been campaigning for some time for a change in the legislation to make it clear that it's wrong to assault or abuse shop workers in the course of their employment, with the support of the employers, that has to be said, for the last few years. We've actually got that in Scotland now. There's a, an Act of Protection of Workers in Retail Act in Scotland, 
comes into force on Tuesday the 24th of August and makes it an offence to assault or abuse a shop worker in the course of their employment, particularly when it relates to selling of age-restricted products where they're asking for proof of age. There are serious penalties for people who breach that legislation and, most importantly, sending a very clear message to the Scottish police and to employers in Scotland that they need to do something about trying to support workers in that situation. All we're asking for is that we have the same sort of protection extended by the Westminster government to England, Wales and Northern Ireland. Yeah, and if this was brought in, what do you think it would achieve in England? Well, clearly we're not expecting that overnight everything would get better. The reason we think it's needed is because the existing legislation isn't working. One of the other things we found from our survey this year is that about one in five of the workers who'd been attacked or abused hadn't even bothered to report it to their employer. And the main reason they'd not bothered to import it was because they didn't think anything would be done about it. So there's sort of a feeling of helplessness there that they're just being ignored at the moment. We think that the passing of the legislation by the Westminster government would send a very clear message to everybody concerned that it is a serious issue. It's a crime that shouldn't be tolerated and it's one that uh, society is determined to tackle. And how can the public support this uh, Freedom From Fear campaign that you're launching? There are a couple of things, obviously, that the public can do. I mean, the most obvious one is to continue to show some respect to shop workers when they go into shops. In particular, at the moment, continue to wear face coverings in crowded shops and continue to give physical distance to the workers and to other customers because we're not all vaccinated yet. And even when we are, there's a trance that the Delta variant could still be transmitted by people who've been vaccinated. So we still need those other precautions in place. At the moment, more importantly, because we've got the chance to get the change in legislation in the Westminster Parliament, if we really feel strongly about it and want to show support for shop workers, then let their MPs know that they back us and that they think we should have the same protection for shop workers in England, Wales and Northern Ireland as we do in Scotland. I'm just wondering, in the short term, is there anything that shop workers can do? I know you said before that they're not reporting these things. Is there something that they can actually do within their organisations or with yourselves? Yes. One of the things we're campaigning this week, because the Scottish legislation is coming in, we've got a campaign going this week, and one of the main themes of the campaign is report it, to sort it. Obviously, if people do just uh, keep their heads down, don't report things, then the scale of the problem never becomes truly apparent, and therefore it's too easy for the official authorities to turn their back on it. So we're encouraging shop workers to make a point of reporting incidents when they do happen, either both to their employer, but also, more importantly, to the police, so that the true extent of the problem is made public. And for people that have either been affected by what you've said today or just for the wider population, is there somewhere that they can get more information on this? Yes, there certainly is. If they go to the USDAW website, www.usdaw.org.uk, there's a section there on our Freedom from Fear campaign, which will bring them up to date with all the changes that are going on. So that's great. So people can go there for more information. But for now, Doug Russell, Health and Safety Officer at the Union of Shop Distributive and Allied Workers, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for your time, Richard. A space to speak your mind with Cornwall Mind for better mental health. So it's a space to speak your mind and we welcome to the show Louise. Hello, Louise. Hi, Richard. So just for our listeners, can you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, uh, my name's Louise. I moved to Cornwall in 2019. I'm an ex-nurse. Unfortunately, 2016, I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder after a very long assessment, which I think has probably gone back to my teenage years because obviously mental health issues can be so difficult to diagnose. Many people might not even know about BPD, so can you just explain how that manifests itself and when you first were aware of it? It's difficult really because until I got given the label, I myself had never heard of it, not even within my work. I think such things as depression and anxiety and even more so 
bipolar disorder these days are more well-known in mainstream media and personality disorders are less talked about from my personal opinion. So I've had to do quite a lot of reading up myself on it. It's difficult to describe it because it manifests in so many different ways and everybody's journey's symptoms are unique. But I suppose you could say that one of the main symptoms is difficulty with regulating or dealing with your own emotions. And you say you noticed this from an early age, although obviously you didn't know quite what it was, but were the situations happening when you were younger that it seemed to come around? Yeah, it goes hand in hand with a lot of symptoms. So depression is a big symptom of it. Anxiety is a big symptom of it. So I was misdiagnosed when I was 15 as having depression and that stayed with me for quite a long time. I was then given the diagnosis of generalised anxiety disorder. So I'm anxious the majority of the time, but it's like a free-floating anxiety rather than a specific anxiety. So it's not, I'm scared of a situation. It's just that underlying feeling anxious all the time. So I kind of grew up with these feelings, but when you are younger, it's hard to kind of put them in a compartment and understand what's happening. You just feel down. You feel panicky. One of the big side effects of borderline personality is the heightened emotions. So if I'm happy, I'm incredibly happy. If I'm down, it's the worst. And anger is quite a huge side effect, which I have to admit, growing up and (laughs) being a teenage girl and hormones, it was all quite a difficult journey. And it was probably a very difficult journey for my parents because you can come across as quite unreasonable because your ability to read other people's emotions can be quite compromised. So you always think you've done something wrong or you will think that somebody means something, but it's actually not correct. Like I still do it now where I'll I'll ask friends or family, are you okay? Because I constantly think they're not okay when in reality they're just being quiet or they're thinking about something else. So it's that overanalyzing and overthinking and it's obsessive thinking as well. It's quite a a huge thought pattern among it. And I I remember as a child, you know, obsessing over conversations that people said to me. It's not being able to forget if somebody does anything that's negative it stays whereas you learn the ability to let go of past events it just doesn't happen when you have borderline personality disorder it's a repetitive thought process and it can be very very tiring Uh, I know you were mentioning there about the generalised anxiety. I mean, that's something that that I've had for a time. And I know what that's like when you have the sort of feelings that um, you do. You're overanalyzing. You're always on edge. You're always overthinking. And it's difficult to explain to people, but it's like being in a a stressful situation constantly. So it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. Your heart's racing. You're still feeling certain emotions. And like you say, that, that heightened thing where if something happens, you might react in a way that other people might not expect you to. And you can lash out sometimes as well with the anger and I know obviously you've had the diagnosis of BPD but to have those symptoms and those things that have obviously been with you for such a long time is really difficult isn't it forming relationships and talking with people and just general daily life and sometimes I think even people don't quite realise that in your job or in your relationships 
you're constantly having these sorts of things that are going on and that to the outside world they might not even notice it's only maybe those times where you might react slightly differently to what other people might react but as you say well in your own time you're you are you're overthinking things aren't you you're just constantly replaying in your mind what's gone on and how people are thinking and whether you've misjudged something and and all those kinds of things yeah it's so true i mean a difficulty I have had throughout my adult life is I'm highly educated. You know, I have a postgraduate diploma in nursing. I have two other degrees. I've always been quite driven with things like that. I've been in quite high jobs, I guess you would say. So you'd put me as high functioning. So to, I don't know, I hate to use the term layperson, but to the majority of people, I appear fine and that can be very, very difficult because what they don't see is the horrendous knock-on effect it has on my personal life with regards to relationship, with regards to family. And people don't understand how you can come across as fine. Like I can talk to you now. I, I used to teach. I taught resuscitation for a few years. So I'm quite happy to talk to somebody but it's that knock-on effect afterwards. And it's people can't get the head round that I can appear happy, and this has happened in the past, that I can appear perfectly fine. And people say, but you were fine when I left you. And I will go home and I have tried to end my life. And it's difficult to explain because it is the emotional response that my emotions change, and they can change within minutes so it's hard, and it's hard being that person that can come across as fine. Obviously, with, with your work as well, because if, if you're coming across as confident and you're having successes in your life, especially through your profession, people just assume that, oh, well, obviously, she's able to do what she's able to do and, and get to a, a certain level of achievement. So it's almost as though, well, if, if you can do that, then obviously there's nothing underlying that uh, you're going through. So they don't quite understand, do they? Yeah, that's absolutely true. You get different varieties of friends per se <laughs> you get the friends that would be quite supportive and understanding or they try to understand and then you'll get the people that will give you the yeah but you're fine and why don't you just go for a walk and it can be quite soul destroying because trying to explain to somebody what is happening in your head is very difficult and I have found as I've got older that can be very lonely and I have closed myself off from friendships. I don't have an awful lot of friends anymore because I find them too difficult to maintain personally due to my overthinking. And the other side of it is I don't like coming across as false, but I also don't want to share with every person I meet that I have a mental health condition because people do look down upon people that the stigma attached is so difficult and it's really hard to live with especially in friendship groups i know for myself there's situations that i just don't like to be in and the situations that i avoid or i have techniques that i use when i'm forced to be in certain situations and people won't notice them but you just sort of have to plan in your head days weeks in advance to come into a situation and what to do when you are there and i think that's as well uh, with the pandemic is we've been put into these situations and we're now we've got our toolbox that maybe for those of us that have had experiences before we're reaching for our tools and trying different things but those people that haven't had that before for the first time having to, to kind of go through these things yeah I, I so agree with you there in fact I was talking to somebody 
from the mental health team that I was under regarding the pandemic. And it, I said, does it sound weird that I think I've coped a lot better than some other people I know? And it's because I'm quite happy to isolate myself almost because I have done that so many times as a coping mechanism. So that awful loneliness that some people have experienced, it hasn't destroyed me during this time because I've been quite happy in my little safe space at home where I am happiest at. <laughs> and like you say, people don't have those tools to deal with things that maybe if you have had mental health issues to various degrees, you're probably de- better at dealing with in, in an odd way. Absolutely. And for those people that find social situations difficult, the pandemic in a way has kind of allowed them to retreat from those situations. And I think what's really difficult now for people that are going back into society, reintegrating and reintegrating into a different world because it's not how it was before. And there's those challenges as well, aren't there? Very much so. And just going back to the mental health with the media, I think a light probably has been shone on it a little bit more in detail because of the pandemic because there have been so many people struggling it's raised public awareness that's what personally i think and have found it's starting to be spoken about more because people were struggling so are there other symptoms that you experience i know that for bpd there can be some disassociation is that something that you experience Unfortunately, yes. It's not for everybody that has BPD, but it is, it's quite significantly tied to it. I never knew what it was. Now, one of the underpinning, I suppose, triggers or causes is quite often trauma, which it was for myself. That isn't something that I'm going to go into here to talk about. But disassociation, the symptoms can be, they can be very odd. They can be physical. You can feel odd. You don't feel here, you don't feel real, you can't interact. Sometimes for some people you can't talk. For myself, I feel like I'm in a video game almost, like life outside isn't real. If I touch myself, I feel odd. And I never had it described to me what it was until fairly recently when I was talking to my then clinical psychotherapist. And I was so glad somebody put a name on it because honestly, I thought I was dying I thought I was having a stroke and I still feel like it now when I feel odd. And apparently it's actually your mind shutting off and having a break. Your brain's trying to do a good thing because you've had trauma. It's having a reaction that maybe you haven't realised you're stressed or something has triggered you in that day. And it won't necessarily be something that awful, but your mind actually literally goes, I'm going to have a break for a bit. And I've had instances where that's happened and I I can't remember how to drive or how to walk. And it can be really quite scary and it can last minutes to I will feel like it the entire day. Luckily, I did have some cognitive behavioural therapy quite a few years ago with some other symptoms I was suffering with at the time. And I I utilise that because of my anxiety and those skills that I've learn to deal with when I feel anxious I can kind of when I feel dissociated go right this will pass and I think that's very important for anybody to understand you might feel really not entirely right not here physically ill and really panicky but it will pass it might not be quick but it will pass and 
I think it's very important to be in a safe space. If you do feel dissociated, try and get to a safer space or be with somebody or ring somebody because being down the shops and you start feeling like that can be quite horrifying. But if you are in that safe situation, just keep kind of reminding yourself that it will pass. And it's quite kind of life-changing when you suddenly realise that you're not going to die. Because when I say I have literally thought I was having a stroke, I mean, medically, from a nursing point of view, I've actually thought I'm getting the symptoms. I've felt numb. I've got pins and needles. And it can, it can be really terrifying. So make sure if you are diagnosed with that, but just realise that your mental condition has such a huge impact on physical symptoms sometimes. And suddenly being able to give something a term because I just thought either I'm going mad or it is my anxiety playing up that much but then I couldn't get my head around this not feeling like I'm interacting with the world correctly or that the world doesn't exist it's not real and then obviously being told that it is part and parcel not for everybody but for a lot of people diagnosed with borderline personality. So let's go back to obviously when you had the diagnosis. So you weren't living in Cornwall at the time, were you? No, I was actually living in Stoke-on-Trent and I had the diagnosis. To be given a diagnosis of a personality disorder isn't an easy process. It takes a significant amount of time. We're talking over 12 months. So it was quite a journey. And when I was given that diagnosis, it kind of destroyed me because you don't want something to be wrong with you. It's hard. So on one side, it massively impacted my life. I became quite depressed about it. But then the other side was that kind of clarity because the more I read into stuff, the more it made sense of some of the things I've done in the past and some of my behaviours and made me feel less like I was going crazy, to be honest. I moved to Derby. So I went from being under a mental health team in Stoke where I was allocated a, a CPN who I saw quite regularly And I was awaiting DBT, which is the one therapy that is linked to actually helping borderline personality disorder. Although medications are given, they're given for symptoms. They don't actually help the actual condition. So I was awaiting that, moved to Derby, got passed under a different team who were fantastic, got a CPN, had a clinical psychotherapist who I'd started seeing did a very short course that was some foundations of DBT. It's a type of talking therapy, basically. It's based around cognitive behavioural therapy, but it's especially adapted for people who feel emotions very intensely, per se, people with personality disorder. And it helps you to understand and accept your feelings, learn skills to manage them and try to make those changes in your life because the thing is I will probably never not have BPD they think it is an actual brain condition there is something not firing completely properly so although like I said you can medicate certain symptoms like the anxiety the depression having the coping skills to be able to manage your condition that that is the way forward but that DBT is 
like hen's teeth in the UK, unfortunately. Not every NHS county-wise run courses. The wait lists are horrendous. So I was on a wait list for Stoke. I got past a derby, was on a wait list. So I'd been on a wait list for three, four years nearly. And I moved to Cornwall. So <laughs> everything changed all over again. <laughs> So, yeah, so obviously you moved down to Cornwall in 2019. So, yes, obviously with the the pandemic, that has given a whole new circumstances to what you were going through before. So, and I think, you know, it is a common theme that services haven't been obviously at full capacity and there's not been things that that we would have had in normal times. How was it really for you? Odd. So, so weird to be suddenly told that you have to stay at home for your health and I'm asthmatic, so I, I was classed as vulnerable because of the severity that my asthma has been at times. And scared because I have had pneumonia. I have had many chest infections from cold. So a respiratory virus scares me. And as a nurse, I've taken people to ICU that have had influenza that are younger than myself. And I'm, I'm 42, by the way. <laughs> and it's quite terrifying. And viruses are very indiscriminate. And there was that slight panic, but for once not focusing on my mental health, it was kind of, I was allowed to feel like that because everybody else felt the same. Friends felt the same. Family felt the same. I'm worrying about family, worrying about older relatives and that horrible feeling of being so out of control of something and just having to watch day to day how things were going to go and being told one day you can do this and then the next day you can't, but then you can do this. It was quite confusing, but I found some of the local groups quite good for that. There are a lot of the local Facebook groups that were like support groups for COVID and people were putting quite good information on. So they were really good. And talking about support, so obviously, as we've come out of lockdown, there are more services that are available and it's a stretched sector. And as we've already highlighted, there are many more people now that are are needing the services, but you have reached out. So which services have you approached and what's happening to date so far? Well, I can tell you because I've actually had some positive news today, but I've had, unfortunately, a very negative journey with the mental health team that I'm associated with here in Cornwall. It took a year for me to be allocated. So I went from having a CPN that I saw every week in Derby to not having one for a year. It took a year to be allocated somebody here. Part of that was COVID. Part of that is, like you say, that the stretches to the services at the moment, the lack of funding, and there just aren't the bodies to do the job, especially in this county. So it's been pretty awful. I only ever had a CPN that I saw on three occasions and now they are off themselves. So mental health have actually discharged me and I've had to go back to my GP. I've had to go back, not go back, but rather then talk to pals because I was suddenly left with no support from having support. But today I have had contact with the mental health nurse from my doctor's surgery who's given me some very positive kind of news that hopefully with things being dealt with, because she kept saying, but you're awaiting therapy. And I said, I'm not, I'm not awaiting therapy. I was, I was on a list for DBT. You don't offer it here. I'm all very confused. And she said, no, you will be because pals will have to obviously look into my situation. So that was good. And the other thing is, is because... I'm not under secondary care per se at the moment. 
I'm awaiting again, she can now be my contact and talk to me regularly. So all of a sudden I have got a little bit of support. So that was nice. I first became aware of MIND years ago as a charity for mental health, but I didn't really know much about the work that they did. But then more recently, especially with the pandemic, getting involved with more and more groups on Facebook, Cornwall MIND popped up. So I reached out and contacted them to see what they offered and what it was all about, really. And hopefully we'll be joining one group in November. And that's kind of given me something to look forward to. Because I really have, for the past two years, just felt like I've been left at sea from having support and being told that I cannot manage my condition in a primary healthcare setting and it has to be secondary to just not having no support has just been really, really hard. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I've had some really not good times in the past two years, but hopefully I'm trying to turn it around. But it's very hard because... Although I want to do these things and and want to get the help, there is that part of you that every time you get a knockback and every time something doesn't go to plan, it's so hard to deal with. And especially because my CPN here that I got allocated was obviously going through their own illness. I don't know what that is, obviously, and I wouldn't talk about it on here. But every time she cancelled on me, the one thing about borderline personality disorder is we don't deal with change. So it was not good. And I was doing a lot of very negative and have done a lot of very negative behavior because of all these knockbacks. But I feel a little bit more positive today. So you've caught me on a good day because I feel like I'm being listened to. And my, my doctor's surgery, they've been absolutely fantastic and very, very supportive and very supportive of me feeling like I haven't been dealt with correctly here so far nobody's actually taken the time out to try and get me the correct help so I don't hold any great aspirations that all of a sudden a 12-month DBT course will become available in Cornwall because these things aren't but I feel better that there are people trying to fight our corners and trying to help and there are things that you've been doing yourself as well. And I know they're, they're small things, but they can help. So that, I mean, I know you work as an artist, don't you? So do you find that helps the sort of artistic work that you do? Yeah. So I actually did my last shift as a nurse in 2018. Since then, I, I, am, I have trained as a, a first responder, but I have had difficulty holding down a job due to my mental health. And I I went to bank nursing, which is basically agency, but NHS agency, because the actual having to go every day, I couldn't always do it. And it's not fair on the people you work with. And it was making me worse, to be perfectly honest. Although I was perfectly capable of doing my job when I was at work, there were days when I couldn't. And I wouldn't go in. So I just, I, I made a conscious decision to leave the NHS and circumstances were such that I could. And when I moved here, I say work, it's not something I do full time. It's not something that I earn a wage from, but I have set up my own website and I paint. I paint in multimedia. I also do pyrography, which is burning artwork onto wood. And it's something that I find quite cathartic because my brain can be quite chaotic and trying to switch off from that constant kind of I would say dialogue but it's those constant intrusive emotional thoughts when I'm painting I completely get absorbed and it's that time out so I have actually found it incredibly useful I started out in 
1997 doing a fine art degree I, I only did the foundation so it's kind of weird that I've gone kind of full circle and gone back to doing something I started out doing when I was 18. It is finding something that takes your mind away from the thoughts you're having and something that you can also have something to show at the end of it and I know artists they do say that that helps and other things like gardening as well. Cornwall Mind run an allotment group and speaking with some of their members they find that process of creating something and coming back to something and even just being out in the open air you know that can be so beneficial. Yeah, definitely. I, I garden myself. The property that I live in down here, I have quite a nice garden and I have a vegetable plot. I never thought I'd be somebody that likes pottering around and gardening, but I do now. And yet again, it's, it's a safe place for me and it's getting outside and I, I love nature and I, I love the scenery down here is beautiful so getting out into it is fantastic but I don't always feel capable of getting outside of my, my safe space of home so having a wonderful garden and growing things that I can use or give other people can make me feel like I'm doing something and I think I don't know if you'd agree with me but from my own personal experience one of the downsides to a lot of mental health conditions is feeling useless and feeling like you don't give anything and that you can't give anything, whether that's in a personal relationship or in a work environment. And it's trying to find things that make you feel like you fit or that there's a reason to be here still. Yeah, definitely. And people that volunteer and, and do things in the community, they get such a sense of, of achievement of being able to do something where they are able to help people. I think that's probably something we should bear in mind when a lot of our friends and family are going through difficult times, as we all are. But if you're able to be there for someone else and, and talk to someone else, that can help yourself as well as help the other person. It's quite ironic you said that because one thing I did sign up for during the pandemic because yes I have my own problems and there are some days that I don't want to talk to anybody. I signed up for the NHS volunteer service and I was just doing checking and chats and ringing other people who couldn't get out, who were completely isolated just to be that sounding board for that person. And you can imagine that a lot of those people were elderly with no relatives. And it, it was, you know, that can kind of make you feel better because you've done something. It certainly made myself feel better. And it's nice that maybe that person isn't quite so lonely. So I, I did do that. It wasn't, I have to admit, it wasn't something I could do all the time because that in itself is quite draining, especially when you've got your own problems. But it, it was nice to give a little bit back because I quite like talking to people. <laughs> Having my background as well, because quite a lot of the time people would ask questions that I couldn't give medical advice because that isn't the role that I'm in within that. But at least I could point them in the right direction, say, yeah, maybe you do need to go and talk to your doctor like now. <laughs> and you've mentioned that you are speaking to Cornwall Minds. So those obviously the groups that they have and uh, you're hopefully going to be part of one of their active groups very soon, aren't you? Yes, hopefully. Um, I've just had an, an email today. I've been looking at the groups available. There's like a creative writing workshop that is going to be running. And I, I actually <laughs> have a degree in, in creative writing, popular culture and media. And I don't write anymore. I mean, I, I literally don't write anymore. And I thought it would be good and a bit like my painting. Maybe I'd find it cathartic. 
other people in the same situation as myself that aren't receiving the help that need a space for support. So I'm feeling quite good about that. It's really great that you're on this journey now and, and we wish you lots of luck in the future and we hope that things will get to a, a good place for you. It would be good. <laughs> it would be nice. And I, I just hope that at some point things do change with the mental health system that we've got at the moment because I think it's so strained and it's charities such as mine that are doing a job that there is a gap for that I wish there wasn't. For support and more information for better mental health, go to the Cornwall Mind website, cornwallmind.org, or call the Mind Helpline during office hours on 0300 123 3393. And don't forget, you can call the Samaritans anytime for free on 116 A space to speak your mind with Cornwall Mind for better mental health. That's all from A Space to Speak Your Mind for now. Thank you for all our guests that have been on the show. If you missed anything, you can hear the podcast anytime. Just go to Google, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or you can go to podfollow.com slash A Space to Speak Your Mind and that will take you directly to our podcast. If you'd like to be a part of the show, get in contact with us. Email a space to speak your mind at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at A Space to Speak. Like our Facebook page. Just search for A space to speak your mind a space to speak your mind with cornwall mind for better mental health